0: And welcome to the Tightwad Teacher Podcast, brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementopie.com And now, here are your hosts, John Mikulski and Brian Brueger.
1: Oh, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Tightwad Teacher, Episode 21, Technology Best Practices for November 29th, 2011. This week, we have Mary Beth Hertz, who will be joining us and talking a little bit about what she does in her classroom in Philadelphia, and the tools that she uses, and what's available uh, for her in her classroom. But first, uh, let me introduce to you Mr. Brian Brueger. Brian Brueger, how are you doing? Hey, uh, I'm doing
0: great. It's a, it's a good week, although um, I'm not sure that... Uh Everybody knows this but you've kind of had a uh, a busy week in the uh, social media realm, haven't you?
1: Yes, you know what? I am kind of like a celebrity now. It it's it's pretty exciting. Oh, um,
0: well, no, no, no. Hold on, hold
1: on. In my own world, I'm a celebrity. I am a celebrity. <laughs> I, I, in my own world, I'm a celebrity. Just let it ride, Brian. I, I, gave, okay. you a really, I gave you a really nice introduction today. You, that's the least you can do for me.
0: <laughs> John, in his world, is a celebrity. So how about you tell us about your celebrity-ness?
1: Sure. Well, it, it's been kind of a whirlwind uh, last week or so. This past Friday, our school did a, a pledge to stop bullying day. So they did anti-bullying stuff all day long. And, uh, the, the previous Tuesday, one of the teachers who was heading it up, one of my colleagues and one of my friends said, came to me and said, do you think that they let students go on the morning announcements and like read a pledge or something? And I said, well, probably, but honestly, it never goes real well. The kids get nervous and they trip over their words or no one's really listening anyway. And, and it happens and then it's forgotten. So I said to her, well, sure why don't we make a video instead? We'll make a video of the pledge and then of this anti-bullying pledge, and then we can have all the homerooms air it you know, on the computer. We'll put it on YouTube or whatever, and then all the, the homerooms can view it. And she thought that was a great idea. So Wednesday we recorded a, a pledge, and that actually kind of turned into two separate videos, um, both on anti-bullying. And then Thursday I did a little bit of editing, and Friday we showed it. And it was just a smashing hit. Uh, Every teacher thought it was fantastic. All the students, really, it was much more impacting than we thought it would be because, I mean, bullying is one of those things that every every kid faces at some point in their life. And every kid, I think, deep down understands it's a problem, but it's not something that they they like to talk about a whole lot. It's almost like they're too cool to have to worry about it or oh, it's not going to happen to me. And that's actually the mentality that we are trying to address with these videos is, you know, everyone's involved in this problem and whether you're the one being bullied or the one who's bullying, or the person on the sideline who's just watching it, all of them have something to do with this and and how to solve the problem. So anyways, we we did these videos, and um, the news, our local news channels actually caught wind of it. So Friday, uh, one of the channels came out, and they did a little segment on the kids signing their anti-bullying pledge, and they mentioned briefly that we had made a video as well. And I kind of thought it was over. It was kind of neat. I wasn't on the the news or anything, but it it was kind of cool to say that my kids in my school were were on the local news.
2: Sure. And
1: yesterday I come to school and I get a call about 11 o'clock from my, my assistant principal and he said, Channel 2, who is our NBC affiliate, Channel 2 is called, they're interviewing you today at 1230 about the video that you made. And I thought, oh, okay. My first thought was, I'm, I was wearing an orange shirt. And I thought, why am I wearing orange today? <laughs> if I had known I was going to be on the news, I probably would have dressed a little nicer. But anyway, so they ended up coming and they had caught wind of our, our video. And the video at this time, now by YouTube standards is not a whole lot, but our, our video was put up on Friday and, and we're recording this on a Tuesday. So it's only been a couple days and there's already over 700 hits on it. So by, by our little world standards, that, that's a lot of hits. I mean, it's no, evolution of dance, but it, it's sure. still pretty good. So anyways, they, they did a little story on us. And last night, I, in my orange shirt, now my orange shirt glory, I made the evening news. We were like a, the feature story for the 6 o'clock news. Very impressive. Yeah, it's been kind of cool. And, and again, it, it really reinforced what we are talking about in the videos because now that idea of anti-bullying is really at the forefront because everyone is not only talking about this video that my students made, but also by... Talking about the fact that we made the news. I mean, that's something that never happens out here. We're just a small little school district in the middle of a cornfield. So, it's been really um, powerful to see how that has has developed.
0: Excellent. Well, that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, who, who do we have? Uh, you mentioned uh, Mary Beth today, so I um, think we should talk to her.
1: Oh yeah, and Mary Beth is one of my my dear Twitter follow. Well, I follow her. I don't know. I, what does that make her uh, the followee? But she's uh yeah, I follow her on, on Twitter and she's a great resource, I think, for teachers. So let's not waste any more time. We'll bring her on now. Okay, so our guest for today is Mary Beth Hertz. She's a technology teacher at Alliance for Progress Charter School in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And uh, many of you may know her as MB Teach on Twitter. Mary Beth, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Oh, good. Thank you so much for coming on. And you know, like I was saying earlier, it's like a minor celebrity to me because you're yeah. you're such a big name on Twitter and you're one of those people, it's funny because on Twitter, c- certain people's tweets just kind of seem to rise above everyone else's. Or they're the ones I seem to always catch. And, and you're one of those people. So I'm really excited <laughs> to uh, get a chance to talk to you today. Well, thank you. Tell us a little bit about yourself first, uh, your school and, and what you do there.
2: Uh, well, I teach in a small charter school. It's a to K-7 school in North Philadelphia. Um, we have about, I'd say, under 300, just under 300 students K-7, to so very small. I teach in a computer lab, and I've been teaching in a computer lab for about four years. For about two years before that, um, I was a science teacher. I taught uh, the crayfish and plants and all that kind of stuff in my classroom. I also am a blogger and an avid social media user, um, as your introduction may have hinted at. Mm-hmm. Um, I am an EdChat moderator, which is a Twitter conversation uh, amongst educators, and I am also a tech integration blogger for Edutopia.org. I am a certified technology integration specialist, fancy title, and um, I was also named one of ISTE's emerging leaders, uh, I guess it was not like this, two years ago. Um, so I'm really into tech and, uh, it's kind of what I'm all about and I love teaching. Um, do you want to hear a little bit about what I do in my school?
1: Sure. But, you know, I gotta say first, no wonder your name comes up all over the place because you just seem like you have, you have your hands in in all of that stuff. That's so great. And actually I didn't even realize how connected, I guess, you are to our podcast, our very first um, guest, and it was actually before Brian was was with us, but was with uh, Shelly Terrell, and I actually mm-hmm. presented with her over the summer, but she does a lot of the Ed Chat stuff as well, and mm-hmm. um, we actually, we're going to have another, um, uh, who is it, Elena Leone from Edutopia. From Edutopia, yep. Yep, so she'll be on too, so, man, we, we kind of have like... The, it's like this,
2: a this, the circle is complete. Yeah, we <laughs> have like the
1: super group here. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: kind of feel like we're being taken over.
1: And, well, in a good way, it's a good... <laughs> <laughs> okay, well why don't you tell us a little bit um more about about your school and some of the things you do in your computer lab?
2: Sure. Um well I have uh, my lab I'm very blessed to have beautiful iMacs. So that was a a choice when I came to the school, they asked me um they didn't have a, a a lab really teacher set up. So when I came uh I was able to give my preference. Um I have taught in a Mac lab. I've also taught in a PC lab. Um, last year I had actually two labs. Uh, so I'm multi bought by actually multi-platform Linux at home. But, um, but the Mac lab is great just cause I have all the, all the software that comes with a garage band, iMovie, um, iPhoto, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I do teach using those programs. You know, I do have in the beginning of the year, I have a, boot camp of of sorts where we get all our accounts that we're gonna need I do a word processing boot camp which sounds boring and silly but my kids have very are very lacking in word processing skills things like not using caps lock because then all your words are in capital letters how many spaces to put between your your words things like that you know and I guess I'm going on a tangent real quick but the whole idea of digital native
1: mm-hmm. my
2: kids might be digital natives but they're not you know they're they still don't have the skills that they need to be successful doing what we're going to do in the lab. Uh, I teach a lot of digital citizenship. Um, the whole beginning of the year has been blogging, commenting what it means to leave a comment, uh, the difference between a text message and a comment. Mm-hmm. Uh, also what kinds of information they should and shouldn't, sh- should and shouldn't share online. Uh, later in the year I'll be teaching research skills, uh, copyright, citation, and then also how we evaluate sources. So, Uh, We don't have a library in my school. We don't have a librarian. So I kind of take on that role of teaching research research skills without the book part of it, but at least with online research. My students also use, like I said, iMovie, GarageBand. We do use some online tools right now. Some uh, kids making uh, cartoons in Toon Some of my kids are making posters in Glogster. um, And we're going to be using uh, EasyBib. Later mm-hmm. in the year to to kind of keep our research stuff together, uh, and we use Schoology, which is kind of like Edmodo. Um, I don't know why I went with Schoology; they're kind of like the same thing. I just I think I saw them at a conference and liked, it looked like Facebook, and I thought that was cool, so um, I chose them. But I use that for all my course management, for uploading projects and up you know the course updates and things like that. Um, I also do teach some programming. Uh, scratch I'll be teaching in the spring. I taught it last year and my kids loved it, so I'll be doing that again. And um I also teach an after school program for girls. It's called GEMS, Girls in Engineering, Math and Science, and that is all a Lego robotics club. So, um that's been really exciting. If someone could pay me a full salary to teach nothing but that all day, I'd be happy. <laughs> I haven't found that yet. <laughs> I was going
1: to say, Mary Beth, your job is way more fun than mine is. <laughs> amazing, amazing things you're talking about here. A couple questions for you. Let's go back to the beginning. You you said you, you teach like basic computing skills, typing skills. Now mm-hmm. with, with you being in a K through seven school and you seeing all those kids, do you kind of like spiral that through the years or, or how do you, knowing that you're probably going to have those kids for those seven years, how do you, you do that in terms of, um, teaching the skills to them as they go through?
2: Sure. Well, it has to do with, um, kind of knowing what the kids, where the kids are developmentally. Um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously at kindergarten, they still, some of them don't know their letters. So teaching typing in kindergarten is kind of, I mean, at this point in the year, maybe in the spring, we may start to do some typing. I did have some kids typing in Tux Paint today, but they were copying sight words. Off their word wall, um, and the ones that could were the ones that couldn't. Obviously, weren't. Um, so, you know, once the kids all pretty much know their letters with kindergarten, it's not so much typing programs like like tutorials as much as it is just giving them experience using the keyboard um, and find just finding the letters. And, you know, as they move through like first grade, I do start having them um, use some of the typing games uh, that help them find the letters more quickly. Um, in kindergarten, I find that the games are a little bit too, for not for all of them, but for some of them, it's just too fast. They need to be able to take their time to find the letters. Basically, once the kids get into second or third grade, um, I start teaching them home row and they have to actually uh, use two hands. And, um, I've kind of fight a battle with home row because if I really wanted my kids to be fluent in home row, I would have to basically teach keyboarding for half the year. (laughs) Right. So I've kind of, and this has been an ongoing thing, kind of dialogue with myself and dialogue with my colleagues on Twitter and through my blog. I wrote a blog post that gathered a lot of comments about, you know, teaching keyboarding, but with seeing kids sometimes 45 minutes a week or an hour and a half a week, I just got to pick, you know, yeah, what choose your think. battles. Yeah. yeah. So with seventh grade, you know, I do have, I do even well, even fifth, sixth and seventh grade, I do spend a lot of time teaching them home row. Um, but I find that a lot of them already have a way of typing. So, uh, you know, like I said, it would take me half a year to un- have them unlearn what they've already taught themselves to teach them home row.
1: Sure. Uh, well, I'm guilty of that myself when I type, I never took typing classes and I never learned home row and and the formal way of typing, but I can touch type now and I'm pretty fast at it, but I don't know where my fingers are going at the time. So yeah, I I can imagine how difficult it is when you have a whole classroom of kids like that and you're trying to get them to undo something that they learned the wrong way the first time around.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I don't want to make it a debate about, you know, to type or not to type and the details of that. I am curious, um, In terms of in light of you know, mobile devices and the fact that you can't put hands on home rows on virtual keyboards and and things like that, um, what is your viewpoint moving forward as we look at typing? Is that still a valuable skill?
2: That definitely actually came up in my blog post that I wrote. I I had a kind of aha moment where I was using an iPad and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at my hands and I'm thinking... I'm not. I'm, I'm typing with two fingers, and I'm all over at the place. You know, I'm not typing in Home Row, like you said. It's almost physically impossible. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I think that part of the reason why my kids type the way they do is because they type on phones and they type on mobile devices. So, you know, I don't mm-hmm. think I think that. Um, I, I think there's a place for teaching Home Row, but I think also I don't feel too badly about it because I do know that they are going to be using more mobile devices where they're not going to be able to use Home Row. So to me, it's more about, do you know where the letters are on the keyboard? Because I've been eating my lunch one time, you know, like I'll have my my lunch in one hand and I'm typing with one finger with the other hand, but I know where all the the letters are because I've been typing. Sure. Sure.
0: Yeah, we actually did a survey prior to starting our one-to-one program this year, and it was, a you know, one of those highly scientific, informal, hey, what do you guys think? Show me a raise of hands. And um, and our kids, amazingly, they didn't feel the need to have a um, physical keyboard. They thought the virtual Mm -hmm. keyboards were just fine. But, you know, I took typing in in high school as a senior because I knew I wouldn't have homework for it. So I figured that was a great (laughs) choice of class. Um, Now I use it all the time and I couldn't imagine not having it. And so, therefore, I want a physical keyboard. Um, But for them, I just never got the sense that that's that important to them you Can type fast without it.
2: And I wonder also if it has to do with purpose, what they're doing when they're typing, because I think, you know, you and I are sitting in there, a college course and we've got a paper to write. If you can touch type fast, you're going to have a much easier time. You know, if the kids are used to texting or, or um, playing games or, you know, things like that, then yes, a virtual keyboard is fine. But once you start getting into more, um, involved word processing, even blogging. I mean, I, I oh, blogging, sure. uh, without an actual keyboard. I mean, I've done it. <laughs> I have my, yeah. <laughs> app, you know, my little postures app and I'm mm-hmm. on there and then, you know, or post Posters, whatever you say it. And, um, it's horrible, you know, you're like, oh, and then you gotta delete everything. And then, you know, so, um, yeah, so I guess it comes down to also purpose, what they're using the keyboard for.
1: Oh yeah, you know, as an as an English teacher, I'm always talking about addressing audience and using voice that's appropriate for that audience. And it's funny because you're right, like the actual method of typing is turning into another piece of that is, you know, what is your audience? What is your your purpose? And then what tool best fits that whether it is typing with a you know, on your cell phone or, or using an iPad or something like that. Cause I agree with you. I, you know, I have a blog as well. And I remember when I first got my iPod touch, I thought, oh, this is great. I'm going to blog from my iPod. And I did it once and I thought, this is stupid. <laughs> like, it doesn't, <laughs> it didn't come out very well because I was, I was struggling to try to find the right words, but at the same time, make it, my, my fingers manipulate the way I wanted to. And it just didn't work. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting point you bring up. Mm-hmm. Well, it, Something else that you mentioned that I, I want to talk about, it sounds to me like what you do in your school is what I wish I had someone at my school doing, because <laughs> one thing that I've really been struggling with is how to address digital citizenship with my students, because I'm in a, a curriculum where we're pretty loaded down, and I would say that everyone, every teacher, especially in New York State, feels that way, that the standards are, are fairly high and that the curriculum is, is pretty filled up. So to that, say to somebody, well you also need to teach your students how to be good digital citizens, they're going to look at you and say, we don't have time for that. There's not time in the curriculum. And I always think, well, in the perfect world, there would be somebody who would be able to focus on that almost as a class, and that sounds like what you're doing. But my question for you is, do you integrate that into other classes, or, or do you do that digital citizenship unit almost as like a standalone?
2: Uh, pretty much what I do in my lab at this point is standalone moving forward. I'm going to incorporate more content, but I am the only person that really teaches what I teach in the building. Um, part of that I would say is because, uh, there's not, the kids don't have access to a lot of technology in the classroom. So the teachers are the ones with most of the access. So there's not a lot of like, for instance, there aren't students blogging while they're in the classroom. There aren't students, you know, commenting, um, you know, there's, we don't have a one-to-one program. So it's not really in the face of the teachers in the classroom, that, that kind of, um, those kind of issues. Um, we have had issues where kids have texted a picture that was inappropriate and it's gotten sent around the entire class. Uh, and then, you know, the, the counselor comes in and does the talk on, on um, you know, what, what should we do with, in that kind of situation and everything. Um, you know, in my perfect world, you were talking about your perfect world, in my perfect world, uh, there would be somebody whose job it would be to support the teachers so that this kind of stuff can get integrated into the classroom. And also the resources would be there for the kids to be able to be using the tech in the classroom, rather than coming to a separate class to learn technology.
1: And then one more question, because I, I know there's a couple things that I wanted to ask you about like specific things that you've seen happening, good uses of, of integrating technology. But before that, just a quick question for you. You, uh, said you, you also kind of serve the role of like a technology coach. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, how does that work in to your school day? Or is that something that just kind of fell on you or that you volunteered for? Or is it a contractual thing? Like how does that fit in as your role as, as the technology
2: teacher? Uh, when I started, I've, I've only been to school for, this is my second year. Mm-hmm. Um, or about three years before that I was teaching in a lab in the school district of Philadelphia at an elementary school. Um, long story short that school was shut down in the Renaissance school movement so I had to find a new job So when I got to this school they are um, the school is on a path to bring more technology into um, the building and into the curriculum and into the teaching that happens in the classroom. so they hired me because they knew I had, you know, a lot of experience, and they knew I knew what I was talking about, um, or at least I fooled them. So they uh, hired me to kind of help them along with practice. Um, I did help write the three-year technology plan. We did get our E-rate funding through it. So we basically are trying to get our teachers up to snuff. So we got all this tech in last this this year, like projectors in every classroom, Um, and we have a netbook cart for the little guys in the other building. So I kind of teach, but then I also, um, was freed up and given time to not only support teachers, but meet with teachers and also to kind of make sure all the technology was functioning. You know, we had no inventory of what we had in the building. So I pulled together an inventory so that we knew what we had because we can't get more if we don't know what we have. So just, just kind of uh, last year I was had a couple periods free during the day to do that, or during the week to do that. And then this year I have played more of a coach role. Um, so I guess that's kind of – it's not necessarily a title. I just kind of would call myself that because I don't evaluate teachers, so that's why I would consider myself a coach. I'm not like a technology director or anything like that. Um, so, and that goes along with my integration specialist degree, kind of what I learned in that degree is kind of what I'm doing now. Um, yeah.
1: Sure. Well, and I think you uh, are in the best of both worlds there because you can still experiment on your own and you still have the freedom to do your own stuff in your own classroom. But at the same time, I mean, I know from experience too that teachers are going to respond more to another teacher who says, look, I've done this and it works really well. Why don't you try it too? than they would an administrator saying, you need to integrate technology. I mean, that's kind of almost like a buzzword that people use, especially administration lots of times. And then there's really not any follow through with that. So it's great that your school has you to be able to do that.
2: Yeah, well, the only um issue there is, you know, I I find that sometimes teachers say, well, of course you can do it. You're the technology teacher and you know this stuff. So I'm trying to... uh trying to make sure that my teachers learn from each other. So if somebody does something awesome, I make sure the whole school knows about it so that if they want to do the same thing, they know who to go talk to because, um, you know, like I said, I, I, the the teachers look at me like, Oh, well, you know, all this stuff, but it's not just me. Your colleague just did this awesome thing down, down the hall. Go talk to them about what they did.
0: Exactly. That leads us right into, to my next question, which is you with that role of, technology integration specialists, you probably have the opportunity to really get involved with some pretty impressive lessons that use technology, and not just using it, but using it in some meaningful or engaging ways. Can you share with us some um, some of those technology uses or some of those lesson ideas?
2: Sure. Most of the lessons involve something the teacher has done, because as I said, we're not a one-to-one school, and actually, believe it or not, we don't have uh, student computers in our classrooms. So, um, the only computers are either the teacher's computer or in the labs or the netbook carts. Mm-hmm. So, um, for instance, uh, one of the teachers, a fifth grade teacher, she was teaching inference. So what she did was she had her fifth grade students come up with skits and they had to act them out and she taped them Well, not taped them, I guess it would be recorded them. Um, and then the ki- she embedded them on a blog. She's a kid blog that I started for her. And then what the kids had to do for their assessment on inferences was they had to watch the videos. And then she would ask them to make an inference about what was going on in the skit and the video the students made. And she found that, um, you know, when she was trying to teach inference with text, just, you know, can you infer what this character, da, 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 when they're reading a text, the kids kind of, you know, ho-hum, this is boring and just didn't get it. But then when they realize that they're constantly making inferences all the time in real life and then being able to use their classmates' videos to make inferences, it was a lot more meaningful and they have a much deeper understanding of what an inference really is than if she had just had them sit and read a text and try to pull the inference out. Oh, Um, sure. She she also did a similar thing. with. She loved it so much, she then has a a second lesson with video for compare and contrast. Where the kids made skits as well. So it's, it's been really successful for her.
1: First of all, what does she use to make the video? Does she use just like the, the webcam on her iMac or does she have a, an external camera?
2: Um, we actually last year were lucky enough to get a grant. We have two iPod touches. Oh, nice. So yeah, so she just signed out. Um, you know, we have, we have one iPad, two iPod touches, a flip cam, you know, a live scribe pen. And I'm trying to think what else we might have. And we have a, a digital camera. So she just signed out the iPod because iPod Touch actually takes better video than, <laughs> I think, the video camera that we yeah. have. <laughs> we have and that so, problem too. Yeah, so she took the video with the iPod and then I was able to, through logging into my YouTube account, just post to YouTube. And then she could get the uh, code, you know, the embed code for the video.
1: Sure. So it sounds like you have fairly limited technology there. Do you find that teachers are constantly signing out and, and part of the struggle of using it is actually just getting your hands on it?
2: Um. You know what? This Last year, there was no technology in the classrooms. There was maybe three desktops from 2002, like mm. really old Dell Optiplex, like massive dinosaurs. Um. So the teachers this year, every single classroom in grades three through seven, has a projector. Uh, the grades, thir- third and fourth grade, have the Bright Link, which is the interactive projector. So it's not a board. It's actually the projector turns any wall into an interactive space mm-hmm. with a pen and all that stuff. So I think the teachers right now are just kind of getting used to what's been put in their classroom. Um, so there has been a lot of teachers signing stuff out, but it's not a mad dash because they are excited to have what's in their classroom actually available. Um, The most that's the iPods obviously are the most that are signed out because our yearbook uses them, our newspaper uses them, uh, the teachers use them. So those probably get the most use.
1: I had to laugh when you said something about all the teachers getting new projectors because I actually, I think I mentioned it last week to Brian on the last podcast episode that for my birthday, I actually convinced my wife to let me buy my own projector for school because we have some, but there's only like maybe nine or 10 of them in the building and all the teachers have to share and they're constantly signed out and it, it really becomes a hassle trying to sign them out and then hunt them down from where they were used last. So for me it was easier to convince my wife to let me pay like the four hundred bucks to buy my own to, to keep in my room. So <laughs> I I know what your teachers are thinking, how exciting that is to have that at their disposal. I was wondering what
0: um like how the dynamics of a traditional everyday class have changed now that they've gotten, you know, that additional, you know, tool or, you know, maybe at the beginning it seems like the additional toy.
2: <laughs> I mean it's definitely Certain things have changed and certain things haven't. Um, As you guys probably know, you know, just putting a projector in a room, you're still gonna have the PowerPoints, you know, the the teacher at the board. Um, Some of the teachers will have like a a PowerPoint up where there's a space for the kids to come up. Because since um, the older grades don't have the interactive one, they actually just project it on the whiteboard and then they use the dry erase markers Mm -hmm. um, to write on the board. So, um, you know, there's been that use of it, uh, which is not too different. The teachers do say that the kids are more engaged with the PowerPoints that they make rather than just the plain old board. Um, And also they're able now to use like if they're learning about like our sixth graders are full of questions all the time and they were learning about landforms. And so the teacher was able to type in, you know, we even have Google Earth, you know, on the computer. So she was able to take them on a tour on Google Earth. She's teaching astronomy. She's going to be taking the kids. Actually, it was Monday, yesterday. She took the kids on a tour of the inner planets through Google sky. So those kinds of things, um, you know, it does kind of seem like a toy, but it has changed instruction. I mean, she, she always jokes. She's like, I remember when I was, you know, trying to, I had the, 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 the styrofoam ball and I'm like trying to show them what it looks like for a sun and the moon to rotate around. And, and now I have a video and I can just show them an, you know, uh, not a video, but, um, what are those called? Simulation mm-hmm. um, for that the kids to actually see in 3D how that stuff works. So it's it's definitely I think made the teachers feel like they're it's easier for them to get their ideas and and concepts across not their ideas but to get concepts across to the kids uh, through multimedia.
1: What I found too I have a couple student stations in my classroom and then the projector now and my iPad and my own laptop station too but. Um, what I found, too, is it, it, the more you have in the room like that, the easier it is to make those teachable moments more teachable because you can plan lessons that use simulations and videos and those things, but it's also great to have it at your disposal so when in the middle of a discussion a kid says something and you can go, well, I don't know, let's look it up real quick, and then that spurs a whole new uh, conversation, and it's an informed conversation because you have all that resource at your disposal to, to share with the kids. Mm-hmm. Well, and speaking of having great resources to, uh, to share, I guess this is more for teachers. I want to talk to you a little bit about your blog because I've kept my own blog and it's so exciting for me because I know and it appears that you're you're in the same situation. I started off my blog kind of as just uh, a place for me to archive what I do. And and over the course of like say the first year or so, I started getting comments and I thought that's kind of cool that people are paying attention to me. And when I look at your blog and it's at mbteach.com and When I go there and take a look at it, that's almost what it reminds me of because you have some great like reflection pieces and you have some great examples and and pictures and videos of things that are going on in your school that you're sharing on there. So I I wanted to ask you a little bit about that as far as what you use your blog for. Is it something that you share with teachers? Is it something you use personally? What is the purpose of that blog?
2: Well, when I first started, the purpose was to, um, I, I don't, my very first post, my, my old school was a hundred years old. It was falling apart. Uh, like it was just, it was, at, it was out of a bad, like Michael Moore movie. Um, so I just said, this is crazy that my kids learn in this, these conditions. So I posted, I was posting pictures and just talking about, um, what the, the conditions were in the school. And then eventually I started, uh, I went to ISTE, the, the conference and mm-hmm. it was in DC and I just started realizing that people were blogging about technology and what they were doing in their classroom and I started doing that so I think like you were saying it's kind of morphed and evolved uh, and that's based on my own my own uh, growth as a teacher and a person but it's also based on my reading of other blogs and inspiration I've gotten. Um, my blog I tend to I, I for a while I thought, you know, oh I'm gonna I'm gonna review tech tools and that's what my blog's gonna be. And then I realized that there's like a cajillion blogs out there yep. that, you know, review tech tools and I was like, Well I don't need to reinvent the wheel, I'll just go read those blogs. Um but I find I've I've actually kept a journal, uh well, I actually my blog is my now my journal, but from the time I was probably fourteen until probably around 22 or 23, I actually wrote in a journal almost every single night. Um, and so I think it's just the way that I reflect and the way that I learn about myself is through writing. And that's just kind of my blog now is kind of my new journal, except it's public. (laughs) Um, so I kind of, you know, like you were saying, reflection, just kind of, if you don't, Reflect. You don't really know what you believe or what you think about something. And you also sometimes, when you're forcing yourself to think about something, you learn something new about uh, yourself. Or all of a sudden, you might stop and go, "Man, that what I just did in my classroom. That's cool, but maybe I should do it this way instead next time." Um, And also, sometimes I use it. And I mean, I guess my blog is kind of selfish now. I think about it, but um, I use it. You know, that keyboarding post I did. Well, I had all these comments and all this conversation going on and now I was able to learn from other people about, you know, through the comments about what I had written about. So I guess I also uh, blog for the Cooperative Catalyst, which is a group blog, which is really trying to talk about true, quote unquote, ed reform. So uh, some of my posts, I do try to reflect on larger issues, national issues, because, um, national issues these days are local issues when it comes to schools.
1: Sure, sure. I, I know what you mean when you talk about it being like selfish to blog because there'll be times when I post something. And I'll look at it and think, man, people are going to find this to be awesome. And I get all kinds of hits and all kinds of comments. And I feel real great that like what I'm saying meant something. And then there'll be times when something will happen during the day and I'll type something more as like a reflection. And I'll think no one's going to care about this at all, but tough. I'm putting up anyways, because it's important to me. So I, I know what you mean. Like it does, it serves multiple purposes. And, but it's great to see another teacher who does that because there is so much value behind blogging because of the archive piece and because of the uh, reflection piece and, and the sharing and all that that goes on. It's such an organic, natural way to do all that stuff. And, you know, you compared it to like a journal and I agree. Like I actually, I, I did a blogging thing a couple of years back with one group of students and to start them up, I said, well, let's figure out what a blog is. Give me some definitions or what do you know about blogs? And I remember one of one of the students said, well, blogging is kind of like um, having a journal that everyone can read, an open journal. And I've always kept that as my, my go-to definition for blogging because it fits so well with what you do on a blog.
2: Mm-hmm. Definitely.
1: Mary Beth, with your blog, you compared it to your
0: personal journal of writing in the past. What have you found the advantages and or disadvantages of the publicity or publicness of the blog versus the journal?
2: Well, the biggest thing I can think of right off the top of my head is I did have a troll on my blog. Oh, nice. Um, uh, and he has actually been a troll on pretty much anybody in EdTech's blog. Um, he basically goes around and finds people blogging about technology and education and attacks them. So that is definitely a downfall, you know, when, not downfall, but a downside. Mm-hmm. When you put your ideas out there, Um, you know, you kind of put them out there for anybody, whether they agree with you or they disagree with you, whether they're there to help you or hurt you. So, you know, that definitely was a big lesson for me. I don't think, you know, at first I tried to go toe to toe and then I realized I made a huge mistake. Um, so, you know, that's definitely, you know, when you have your journal and you're by your bedside and you just pick it up, you know, and you're writing down, nobody's going to attack you about your ideas. Um, but then at the same time, uh, you know, and there's a lot of teachers I know that say, oh, I, I can't. Like I, there are teachers in Philly even that blog anonymously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have I have my own issues with an, uh, being anonymous online. But they say, you know, I can't say what I feel because I'll get fired. Or I can't say what I feel because, you know, whatever can happen. So that is also, you know, in your own journal, you can say whatever you want. On your blog, you can say whatever you want, but you have to deal with the consequences. Um, You know, I personally am one of those people that if I say something about somebody behind their back, I'm not saying it behind their back because I would say it to their face. Right. So I'm not going to say something out on my blog that I wouldn't say to my administrator or that I wouldn't say to somebody that um, somebody that's above me or whatever the term may be.
1: Have your administrators seen the blog?
2: I've actually sent a couple of my posts out to, um, my administrators because sometimes it'll be kind of like an expansion of something we may have talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, I also post my, I have my, I have a WordPress blog, so it's set up to auto post to both Twitter and Facebook. And one of my administrators is my friend on Facebook. Actually two of them are. Mm -hmm. So I, I make sure that I just don't, you know, if I'm, well, at least now. I guess when I was in the school district, it was a little bit different. I may have had a couple posts in the school district. I think I did a pretty scathing right. post about about the union because I was not happy with our new contract. But I, but when I say scathing, um, I, I always, I never, I never fall into the trap of like name calling right. or extreme language, you know. So constructively my, I, scathing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's got to
0: be an advantage to blogging too, right?
2: you don't take your journal and then pass it to your friend and say, Hey, could you write some comments in the margin? You know, you don't, um, you don't have that option. So definitely that, that feedback, that, that community you kind of build, uh, that there is a community of bloggers. And so we all read each other's blogs and learn from each other. And that is something that cannot happen when you're writing just for yourself. You know, when you put your ideas out there, people are able to find you. So you find like-minded people, um, you know so there's there's also the connections that you're able to make cuz I now I go to conferences and I meet people who read my blog and read my tweets and all that kind of stuff and I already have a connection with them
0: Well before we move on too far I wanted to kind of loop back to um, your role in the school um, because I'm I'm curious if you find a discrepancy between what you do in the classroom that is a lab and what the, if you will, general education teachers are doing in their classrooms and how you deal with that discrepancy of technology?
2: Um, it is a little bit tough um, to, to not have the kids have the access in their classrooms. But one thing that is nice is my lab is open every morning because, um, as I may have mentioned, I teach, uh, and I have a netbook cart. I don't know if I mentioned that, but I actually, we have two buildings. So we have K1 and 2 in one building down the street on 19th street, and then we have 3rd through 7th and a building at 16th street. Um, so I actually am not even in my Mac lab in the morning before noon at all, ever. So it's open. So for instance, the 7th grade teacher today brought his uh, kids in. They're building wikis about uh, for a project that they're, they're doing for social studies. So he was able to use a lab and, uh, you know, I also try to, um, try to just make the technology available to the teachers down the street. They almost have nothing. They have a cybrary, which has a Promethean board and about eight or nine computers. So I've been working with the teachers to train them in using the Promethean board and they bring their classes down there, to do content based lessons uh, that go along with what they're doing in the classroom. Sure, sure.
1: Well, we're sure. we're getting towards the end here. Uh there's one final question that I have for you and I think that you may have already hinted at it uh, earlier, but you know, you are so um inundated with all these great tools and now, you know, great resources as well in terms of of actual devices and things, but um, now that we're into school, if you had to give like one or two of, of the things that you're really excited about, the one or two tools or, or online services or something, what would you recommend to somebody to go and take a look at tonight?
2: Um, I would say if you're into blogging with your kids, um, your students, and you want to try it out, I've been really impressed with Kidblog mm-hmm. or kidblog.org. It is uh, WordPress ho- or WordPress powered. So it's uh very customizable, very easy. Um, you can add users without email accounts. Uh, it's tons of controls. So as far as commenting, you can even keep the whole blog completely hidden so that only the kids who are in the class can see it. You can open it up to the, to everybody. You have all different kinds of options. Um, you can make it so that when kids post, it has to go through you, the administrator first. So it has to be approved by you before it goes live. Um, it gives you complete control over commenting, so it's it's pretty awesome. Um, that's what my teachers have been using, and I already have four four teachers set up with a kid blog, and two of them have posted more than more than twice, uh, which I know sounds like minimal, but baby steps. Oh, absolutely!
1: Isn't that one <laughs> is that one real customizable? Because every time I see that site, it's always like the stock was a blue and orange, you know yeah, colors. Yeah, well, I
2: guess. When I say customizable, I mean um, I guess for the uh, the permissions as well oh I mean. yeah. yeah, not you're right the the actual um and, like, and actually, what I like about it is that the actual page itself is not customizable because I think it's less intimidating for teachers because there's less stuff to worry about
1: I know I'm assuming it's the same at at elementary level, but in my middle school, if I give kids something where there's options to change colors and backgrounds and add pictures and whatever else they spend more time doing all the stupid stuff than they do actually putting content on it. So sometimes yeah. uh, simpler is better.
2: <laughs> and actually the way the kid blog works is pretty cool where you can actually, teacher can create a blog and then add each of their students as a user on the blog and then everybody kind of uses that one blog. So rather than having a separate website for each, which you could do a separate website for each kid, um, you kind of have a class blog, so the the kids all show up as users on one side. So you can click on the name, and it'll show all the posts that they've done. Um, but the most recent posts show up on the top of the front page. So um, it kind of builds that community too. So it's easy for the kids to find each other's blogs and comment. So I actually used uh, my friend Parnell Rip. I don't know if you know um, Parnell Rip on Twitter. I think that's her Twitter name. But she has she blogs with her fifth graders. And my fifth graders had been commenting on on their blogs to learn about commenting, so um, it was it was easy for my kids to navigate and find the posts of all the other kids.
1: Sure. So that's the first one. So um, kid blog, and then what's your other like must-have tool for teachers?
2: Um, if you don't use some kind of course management tool, uh, I think I mentioned um, Schoology in the beginning, yes. and and then Edmodo. They're pretty much like I said, pretty much the same thing. Um, but uh, if you don't use something like that, it's a great way to keep all your, especially if you're doing, if you're like, you know, middle school, high school, or you teach a bunch of different sections or something like that, um, you can post updates, you can uh, embed videos. So you can say, you know, watch this video and then leave a comment or you can, the kids actually have blogs on there so that you can, um, teach them about blogging. That's what I do. I teach them about blogging there before we go into the real world. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just a great way to, uh, to keep track of your assignments too, where you can actually give online quizzes and they self grade and you have an online grade book. The kids can go in and check their grades and see how they're doing. They can send you messages. You can set it so they can only send you messages and they can't message each other, which is nice. Yes. Um, so and there's a drop box, both of them, both Schoology and Edmodo have a drop box so the kids can hand in files um, and you can hand out files. So it's just especially if you're in if you're in a one to one or if you're in a lab setting, uh it's just a really awesome either one of them is just a great tool to have. Um, I, I'm still looking for a, a Schoology Edmodo comparison chart. I haven't seen one, so but I would, I'd be interested to see one.
1: Yeah, I'd be curious, too. I'm currently experimenting with Edmodo myself only because my school, knock on wood, is going to go to one-to-one computing next year if the money holds up. So I've already started looking at it, like you said, as almost like a, a course management uh system. And now I have to take a look at, at Schoology because it sounds like they're, I'll have to see if there is some kind of difference between the two of them.
2: Yeah, I haven't, I, I keep saying, oh, Schoology does this. And then my friends who use Edmodo say, oh yeah, Edmodo does that. <laughs> so it could be just the yeah. fact that they need to keep up with each other to be sure. competitive. So I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I think Schoology looks more like Facebook. Uh, it looks literally, like the kids joke. they're like, we're on Facebook, you know, mm-hmm. it's, is it, you know, they can even like things. They have the thumbs up and all that kind of stuff.
1: Uh, I don't know if they have the the like feature on Edmodo. Although it's funny because I've used it with kids now for this, well, the last couple of months now, the school year, and uh, a few of them have said, I, "I wish that there was a like feature." So maybe I'll have to switch over to Schoology for <laughs> next year. Maybe I'll I'll be a convert now for you.
2: <laughs>
1: well, Brian, is there anything else that you want to mention before we let Mary Beth go? No, I'm excited and, you
0: know, I'm going to be a new Twitter follower, which I think is kind of a theme that we have running <laughs> yeah. where we find people via Twitter, we communicate via Twitter, and then afterwards, you know, we become Twitter friends. Yep. So, um, I'm pretty excited to uh to keep up and keep in touch with with Mary Beth and um, you know, see
1: how things progress. Thank you again so much for for coming on today. Um, is there anything else that you want to mention before we let you go?
2: No, I want to thank you guys for reaching out to me. Um, it's been a nice conversation, and uh, I hope you guys have a wonderful Turkey Day.
1: Yeah, yeah, you too. Uh, <laughs> now, are there any like really cool uh, Philadelphia traditions? Because I know some places do all kinds of weird things.
2: Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll be honest. I wasn't born and raised here, oh. so I'm learning about You're- things like green bean casserole that I <laughs> ate when I was. I was originally from New York. We didn't. I didn't eat it up there, so I don't know if that's. A below Manhattan thing, like a South Jersey, Philly thing, or whether I just, my family just never did it, but.
0: That's definitely a Midwest thing, cause green bean casserole is in my family.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, so I, I guess I lied. I do have
1: one final question for you then. Stuffing, are you, are you pro or, or anti-raisins?
2: Ooh, definitely anti. Yeah, me too.
1: (laughs) That that is a national thing, but I don't know the demographic that likes raisins. I know they exist, but we've yet to interview one, because believe it or not, I think we've asked previous guests that same question. (laughs) I don't know how that always comes up.
2: Well, I I just had the uh, the fluff on candied yams uh, discussion, and I... Could not believe that people put fluff on their or marshmallow on their candy DMs. (laughs) (laughs) All
1: right. Well, that's a a good place to end with. Uh Mary Beth, (laughs) thank you again so much for coming on. And uh we look forward to uh continuing to see what you're doing. And again, if you're listening and you want to keep in touch with Mary Beth, you can find her on Twitter at MBTeach and also mbteach.com for her blog. That was Mary Beth Hertz. And uh, Brian, the one thing I got to say that I'm really impressed by with her, it's easy to talk about all the great things that you do when you have tons of technology at your fingertips. Exactly. It's a whole different thing when you're in a situation like Mary Beth where you don't have a lot of stuff and you still make good with it. You know, she was talking about how she had one iPad and two iPod Touches. I mean, there's really not a... I, I wouldn't think there's a whole lot you can do with that, but it's amazing to hear uh, how much she can she can get out of that.
0: Absolutely. It's really encouraging to see somebody who, A, tries to do something out of nothing and really puts it. I know in my school, I really like to, um, you know, kind of feed the technology in that direction of the teacher who efforts and tries to make the best out of even the seemingly worst situations. So uh, it's encouraging to talk to somebody like Mary Beth.
1: Oh, absolutely. And again, definitely take a look, if you haven't been there before, at her blog. It's mbteach.com. It's amazing to see that she really does use it as a journal, like she was saying. There's a lot of like personal reflection on there, and you really get to the, the heart of what it is that she does in the classroom.
0: Absolutely. I'll, I'll have to check that out and encourage the the uh, listeners to uh, to check it out and follow it also.
1: Good. Well... Why don't we uh, move on then to the tips of the week. Now, Brian, I don't know how you could possibly beat last week. Uh, your last tip of the, the week was the typewriter app for my iPad, and I've certainly been getting a lot of use out of that. But why don't we start with you today with the tech tip of the week?
0: Yeah, I would love to just retire on my tips, but um, I do have another good one. Um, in light of the, the holiday season and typically um, nerds like us, um, uh, at whatever level we are, speak for yourself. <laughs> uh, I, I consider it a term of endearment, yes, not a, <laughs> a ridicule. <laughs> but uh, we we tend to always get those tech questions when we go home for the holidays, don't we?
1: Oh, I know exactly what you mean.
0: You know, please do this, or can you do this? Or my computer's been doing this thing. And so, while you're home for the holidays, my tip is called. TeamViewer and it could be found at TeamViewer.com. Um, it's a piece of software that allows you to remote control your um, your relatives or any other computer. It's cross-platform, so it'll run on you know the Windows and, and Mac both and um, also runs, has iPad and iPhone apps and things like that. The best part is is it's absolutely free and you can set it up so that you have remote control access. Um, of your relatives, and you'll be able to help them not just over the holidays, but
1: 12 months out of the year. Oh, good. (laughs) I've used things similar to this in the past. Like I'll use um, like a a VNC or that kind of thing to, to remote access in. Absolutely. It's a huge pain to do that outside the network like i can do it within my own house and maybe control one computer from another like i've set up a thing in the basement before where i have one machine that has all my music on it and then i can remote into that from upstairs and have music play in the house and that kind of thing but with something like team viewer do you need to know how to do all that crazy stuff with port forwarding and, and that kind of stuff
0: absolutely not uh team is a lot like some of the other paid apps um such as um Uh, Log me in or um, go to my PC or some other um, apps that are actually um, running their traffic, not to get too deep into the nerd part, but they're running their traffic just like a regular web browsing traffic. So if you can browse the web, um, you can get through the firewall and things like that and, and still be able to function.
1: There you go. Well, that's a good tech tip for you. So, if anyone's out there and they're constantly being called by uh, their relatives to remove all those extra toolbars in their Internet Explorer or something, <laughs> um, now Brian gave a, a great way to do that. <laughs> yeah, I know the tool. I, I love that when I go to a computer and it's just there's more toolbar than there is actual like window <laughs> yeah, space.
0: Exactly. You got an inch of of window and everything else is all toolbars. It's great. Uh, tell us about your week, and, uh, and this leads into your tip, I bet.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I started the show talking a little bit about this anti-bullying video that my kids made, and uh, it's kind of spiraled uh, out of control, I guess, a little bit. So uh, a couple days after that that took place, one of the teachers I was talking with said, well, you know, it looks like you have, like, a ton of hits on YouTube, and uh, you know, how many people have seen it? And I said, well, you know, YouTube says 700 viewers, and he said, no, like, think about it, there's... Teachers out there who are showing this to entire classes, too bad there's not a way to find out how many students have actually watched it, because that number is going to be much larger than the number of of click views on on YouTube. So we started thinking about it, and it actually very quickly spiraled out of control. And it's now actually also an online pledge campaign that my students have set up. And we set it up as a a website um, with a very basic Google form that's embedded into it. But we've basically taken the message of that anti-bullying video and made it into um, an online web pledge campaign. So that's my teacher tip of the week. Uh, You can find it at wearethesolution.net. And uh, I absolutely encourage um, anybody to get on there, whether you're a teacher or if you have uh, a friend who has a classroom and they want to share it with their students. The idea is that we're taking the message that my students in my little town have uh, come up with and making it go, hopefully, worldwide. The site has only been up for a, a day or so now. And there's already hits on there from all over the world as far away as Singapore. So I'm really, really excited to see how many hits it gets but also how many pledges we get and how many views that video is because I kind of equate that to uh, the impact that it's it's having on people all around the world.
0: We we won't give any specific numbers because we don't want you to gloat but um, well (laughs) over 1,500 views.
1: Oh yeah, I know. We're it's it's really just blowing up, and uh, we got contacted. I think I mentioned earlier. I don't remember it. We got contacted by the news, so there's actually news footage of us on on the website, and um, you know, it's 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 just pretty cool that that what we've been doing is now reaching a larger audience, and that's really what doing things on the web is all about.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, it's uh, encourage everybody to go check out wearethesolution.net. And um, it's cool for your, you know, cool opportunity for your students and everything. But, you know, let's not keep everybody too long. Um, you suppose we want to let somebody contact us? As always,
1: uh, go ahead,
0: do the honors. <laughs> All right. Um, a few ways to contact us you can get a hold of us via the website at elementop.com. You also can find us on Twitter at elementop tightwadteacher. Or you can find John directly at John Mikulski, that's M-I-K-U-L-S-K-I. Or you can find me directly at Bruger. B-R-U-G-G-E-R. We also can be found on Facebook, that is facebook.com slash elementop. And also if you're on Facebook, we'd encourage you to um, actually do a search for Tightwad Teacher and then be sure to like that page so we can get a cool nice little vanity URL um all lastly if you'd like to contact us via phone you can do so at 559 i
1: am very good and uh just to wrap up the show i wanted to give a little plug for next week next week's our guest is jen wagner jen wagner runs a website called projectsbyjen.com and i believe one of our previous guests i think it was paula Nagle, uh two episodes yes. ago or so uh mentioned that and it's a great site, a great resource for teachers who are looking to do online project-based learning. So we'll be speaking with Jen next week. So um, we hope you enjoyed this episode, and certainly make sure that you tune in for next week with Jen. Awesome. Well, good uh, good show, Brian. Thank you, I appreciate it. Likewise,
0: and um, good luck with the the website, and try to try to stay busy as you. Uh, proceed through the holidays because you know that can kind of be a downtime right
1: oh always and now (laughs) now i can and now thanks to your tip not only do i have to deal with the relatives that are nearby i can also deal with the other ones remotely so thanks a lot for that one brian (laughs) only
0: for the relatives that are actually listening in the rest of them don't know about it so you're good
1: you got it you got it (laughs) All all right well uh you have yourself a good thanksgiving brian and for now i will say this is john signing off and brian signing off